When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm happy to have with me one of my favorites, Chris Kimball, and I've been a fan of Chris's for a long time. I've followed him through all the different things that he does. He's a chef, he's an editor, he's a publisher, he does television, radio, he does almost everything. In fact, he was a founder of American Test Kitchen, Cook's Country, the creator of Milk Street, And I know a lot of you because you've asked me about Milk Street in the past. Wonderful recipes. And yet, even though many of them are from all kinds of places all over the world, we can cook from them. They're easy. They're not that complicated. And he does Milk Street TV. He's got a public radio show. I buy even gadgets. They have all kinds of things in a retail store. So... I don't remember. I think, Chris, you once told me you grew up on a farm, or am I making that up? No, I spent summers and weekends on a small farm in Vermont, a town of about 300 people. And, um, you know, the the farmhouse didn't have running water. I mean, had had running water and a pump, but <clears throat> had an outhouse and a wood stove. And, yeah, it was, it was very much a 19th century existence in the summers, but... Um, at least I learned how to bake there. And probably delicious stuff, too. Anadama bread, molasses cookies, mm. cider, nutmeg donuts, baking powder biscuits. Yeah, it's good. Good food. Well, I know, and I think I told you, I spent many, many years in Vermont in an old brick farmhouse um, outside of Newfane. Right, and I remember. I learned how to put food up. I was so proud of myself. You know, doing all that stuff because the nearest supermarket was 45 minutes away. I was out of Newfane, you know, the town behind it. And it was a deal to go to the market, especially in the winter when we still had a lot of snow in those days. It's changed. Well, my neighbors down the road um, still today, I think 85% of their food they catch, shoot, or grow. And they... um, yeah, they're, they're, they're supermarkets half an hour away, at least. So it, some things haven't changed. No, that that's right. And the thing that changed radically for us was the pet lamb. You know, the neighbors planned you could keep the <laughs> lamb for the summer and then right. that guy's lamb chops for the winter. And yeah. that was it for the kids. That was the last time meat was consumed and they were little. No, so, my kids, we, we grew up raising pigs and beef. And um, and pigs are so actually, cute, little. Yeah, well, when we had to slaughter them in September, um, they actually, I I told them to go in the house. They they came out and watched. And, um, oh, no. I, I, well, you know, I, I think it's good for kids uh, to understand where yeah. their food comes from. And uh, they all still eat meat today, but some of them went through a vegetarian phase. But that's for sure. Yeah. I think everyone's kids do that at some point or another. Yeah. 
And one of mine is still, you know, forget it. She has a big picture of her favorite lamb on the wall. She's not eating that stuff, but <laughs> my other one does. And I love your new book. Chris Kimball has come out with Milk Street, Cook What You Have, Make a Meal Out of Almost Anything. And he means it, you know. He made me open my cupboard. He didn't know he did that. But I found a lot of things that he talked about. I found grains and beans. I found cans of Italian tomatoes. And then I went to my freezer, and I had a lot of chicken. And his recipes for Hungarian paprika or a chicken kind of stew, everything. And it was a sort of a new way to cook with a lot of familiar ingredients. So what made you do this, making a meal out of almost anything? Your listeners wanted this? Well, um, actually, a friend of mine, Alex, I knew, was in Paris. <clears throat> he's he's on our radio show occasionally. And he, um, I asked him, I said, well, you know, what are some of the recipes you would make on a Tuesday night in Paris? You know, what are, what are the typical Parisian meals? And he said, we just cook what we have, you know. He said, we, we don't really have recipes. We just go to the market or look in our cupboards or whatever. And then he cooks whatever's around. And I thought that was such an interesting answer, a smart answer. So uh, we decided to open our own cabinets and look inside. But, I mean, if you think about it, almost all cuisines at their origins were very frugal, right? Because yeah. nobody had any money. So so in Italy, if you had – Bread, like, you know, you can do a uh, bread and tomatoes or you can do a bread, uh, you know, a tomato soup with bread as the basis. Or you could turn stale bread into croutons and put that on top of something. Or you could do bread pudding. Or So in, in, in Spain, they make a wonderful soup uh, with, with garlic and bread. You know, so these simple things, a can of beans, uh, uh, lemons, you know, in Amalfi, they make a lemon pesto with almonds and lemons. And it takes uh, about, you know, 30 seconds in a food processor and you're done. So some of that best food is really, you know, simple. And you don't have to go out and spend $50 on ingredients. Uh, it's all, you know, pretty much right there. Right. Thanks to you and knowing how to use it. And as you said, and I still remember going with my grandmother to the butcher with live chickens. That was a little complicated for a kid but then she never wasted one part feet everything went into soups and stews yeah. and was an interesting way to live cooks of that generation used almost everything and now you're bringing us back well my mother who grew up in virginia um said that when she was a kid you know, they use every part of the pig but to squeal. You know, that's what they did. And then another friend of mine who's a chef says, you know, give me a four or five pound chicken. I can serve 12 people because I can make six different things out of it, right? Mm. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, someone like Jacques Pepin, for example, you know, he, he's not going to throw anything away. And um, that's why, you know, in a French restaurant, they would have a back burner and, Everything, or in in, uh, in the day of Fanny Farmer, <clears throat> everything you used went back into that stockpot, right? The water you used to cook cabbage, all the trimmings, whatever, mm -hmm. uh, would be used to make stock. So, 
you know, we don't have to go to that extent now. But, boy, there's so much, like a can of chickpeas. You know, chickpeas, there's a million recipes using chickpeas all over the Middle East. You can put them with yogurt. You can simmer them in a, you know, a sort of butter sauce. You can you can do all sorts of things. You can make hummus out of it, et cetera. So the simplest thing in your cupboard can be used in 20 different ways. Yeah, and, and good. I mean, what you do with vegetables that I might have been tempted to throw out and even eggs, a frittata becomes something special. And I'm a fried rice person and a wonderful idea and recipes for doing fried rice. Well, fried rice, a stir fry, a frittata, a strata, which is, you know, essentially a quiche with, with, egg, with bread in it and <clears throat> no crust. I mean, these are all sort of, you know, 20 in one recipes, right? You can make a frittata out of anything or a strata or any of those things or a basic soup. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing that's so nice. If you have some ham on hand, you can throw that into the frittata or the strata. If you have some leftover vegetables, whatever, uh, you can make what you want. No, and you know, one of my kids never met kale that she didn't love. I mean, I reached a point when I couldn't look at anything green for a while. But love your recipe for kale and cheddar melt with caramelized onions. It looks so good. Well, you know, caramelized onions is, is one of those things. I, when I was in Beirut a few years ago, I went to a, a person's home apartment, and we made mahadra, which is the, um, you know, rice and lentils with caramelized onions. And this was his go-to dish for his kids. He had kids under 10 years old and they love it. And I love it. Uh, so you, he cooked rice and lentils together and then he just topped them with slowly cooked onions. And those onions get really sweet and caramelized and you put them on top of rice and lentils. It's, it's three ingredients, right? Um, it's just absolutely delicious. No, it is delicious. And, and then I marked the chicken with apples and cider vinegar sauce. Everyone is always saying, what can I do with chicken? Because it seems to be America's top seller. Well, I, I was just cooking with Fuchsia Dunlop. She wrote The Food of Sichuan. She lives in London. And um, she she poaches chicken because she thinks it's moisture that way. In water uh, or stock? Just water. She says uh -huh. in Sichuan, they, they take a whole chicken, put it in boiling water, turn the water off, the heat off, and let it sit and cook it. Anyway, she serves that. She shreds it, and then she serves it with a very simple sauce, you know, with maybe some black vinegar, uh, some soy sauce, it says some toasted sesame oil. And so you take a chicken, put it in water, cook it gently, shred it, and then throw a, you know, one-minute sauce on it. And it's absolutely you know, delicious. Uh, and that, that's something we, we always want to do something fancier with it, but boy, that's, that you know, works. That's really good. That, that really works. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then yeah, your tandoori. Another, another method is, um, you know, I spoke to uh, Jose Andres and he said when he grew up, they used to boil their vegetables, which turns out by the way, not to be uh, any less healthy than steaming. And she, he said, all they did was, uh, you know, put olive oil and salt and pepper on the platter uh, or, you know, a Chinese technique is to heat up about a quarter cup of oil uh, with a little, you know, put some grated ginger on the vegetables, some chopped scallion and pour that hot oil over that. And it sizzles the uh, ginger and the scallions. Mm. So, you know, you just, 
you boil vegetables for 15 minutes, drain them, and put this hot oil on top with ginger and scallion, and you have, you know, you have dinner, you know, really. And and most of us wouldn't have thought of that, pouring it over. I would have thought of sautéing it in the pot. But I like pouring it over even better. Well, you can hear it. I mean, uh, I've done it on video. I mean, you, it just, it really does sizzle. Uh, and it just brings out the flavor. And um, so, you know, I, you learn so much when you cook with other people because they 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 tend to have better ideas than I do. So well, I, I say you're fun. pretty good at it. How is that beef and bean chili you have? That eight ingredient one. Yeah, chili doesn't. You know, that's another thing we learn is that it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't need twenty ingredients. In fact, the best recipes tend to have fewer than ten ingredients. They just have to be the right ingredients and the right proportion um but i yeah i love that i just think the uh, the other thing the book uses a lot is using bold flavors like from the pantry if you have a decent pantry right you have some big flavors like fermented sauces like soy sauce or oyster sauce or whatever uh sesame oil uh maybe you have some pomegranate molasses uh you have a few of those items uh and then then you can really go to town because you can take something simple like chicken but make a sauce in, in literally 40 seconds that's going to have a ton of flavor that goes nicely with it. So, you know, uh, tahini is a good thing to keep around, for example, et cetera. So um, that, that makes cooking so much easier if you just buy a few things for the pantry that you keep on hand. Right, and if you use fish oil a lot. Now, when I was growing up, we never heard of fish oil. It probably was here, but no one ever cooked with it that I knew then. Well, even five years ago, if you said fish sauce, most people would turn their nose up. Yeah. Uh, and that, that, that is because I think what you buy in the supermarket was pretty bad. But a really good fish sauce, uh, which is, you know, anchovies and salt, et cetera, have been sitting for quite a long time. <clears throat> and you get that first, you know, at the bottom of the barrel, there's a spigot and you open it, you get that quote-unquote, first pressing. I mean, that stuff mm-hmm. isn't fishy, right? It, it doesn't really taste like fish. It, it has it's no, umami. It's, it's, right. Yeah. It, it I, gives I a flavor someone, that... Yeah, someone I know said they put fish sauce in... I've forgotten what it was, but it was something you'd never think of. Just a little bit. And um, he said no one ever knows what's in there, but they all, all think it's really delicious. So... It's like anchovies, right? If you have one anchovy dissolving some olive oil before you saute your onions, no one knows there's an anchovy in there. They just know that there's a little depth of flavor. Uh, and that's what fish sauce is great at. It's just one of those things when used in moderation in a soup or a stew, it'll just add depth, right, which is great. Right. It's it's good. And and there's so many recipes, the shrimp fra diavolo. I love that. I never thought of doing it with shrimp. Yeah, shrimp are, are it's sort of like veal. It's one of those things that takes on any flavor. Um, I love the sort of uh, caramelized shrimp, you know, with the Vietnamese uh, dish where you start with sugar and water and make a caramel syrup. You add fish sauce and some ginger, et cetera, and then the protein, chicken, shrimp, whatever fish, and it cooks in just a few minutes, and um, you have such great flavor there. Yeah, well, I have the last of the tomatoes from the garden and the local farm, 
And of course, what popped up? Your bread, bacon, and tomato hash. Yeah, that that's good. And the tomato soup with no the no cream bisque, you know, which uh, yeah, again uses sounds good. uses bread. Well, well, bread will give you a very creamy texture, um, which is great. And then there are all sorts of you know salads, the the classic Italian salad with tomatoes and bread. I mean, but. Uh, Tomatoes, even if you don't have great tomatoes, um, if you do it right, they're, you know, you can make them good. This can work. This can work. Yeah, yeah, it really, it really sounds good. And are you still traveling all over the world? Yes, I just uh, started started traveling again. I was in um, Mexico and Jalisco in February. I was in Turkey and uh, southern Turkey, Antakya in March. And I just got back from London and Paris. And um, by the way, I I have to say, when I was in London, Paris, and when I read the papers here or read the news, it just sounds like Europe's in, you know, terrible straits. And all the restaurants were packed. Everybody was on the streets. Um, They seem, you know, life's going on as as usual over there. So that was really nice to see. No, it's interesting because you're right. Pick up any paper and you feel the world is falling apart, you know, and like, woe is me, has been the attitude. And we just can't go on like that. Well, I I went past a pub around six o'clock in London. We were rushing off to whatever. And uh, there must have been 100 people standing outside in the street having a pint. And they all were Mm. relaxing and talking and having a good time. And so, yeah, happy. And so I'm going like. If you, if you read the news from over here, it sounds like it's the end of the world. But, you know, uh, that's what I love about, especially about Paris, is it just seems like life goes on, you know. Did you have great meals in Paris and London? I did. I, I don't tend to eat. I don't eat at fancy restaurants anymore. I'm, I'm done with that. Um, so I eat, I eat at mm-hmm. small bistros and cafes. What, the thing I I had the two things in Paris that were the best. One was stuffed cabbage, what? believe it or not. And it was so oh, good. I, I mean, believe was, that. They had this local sausage and they minced it and they, it was just delightful. It was really good. And then it was a little place um, uh, where it was a Vietnamese uh, place. It was a takeout and sit down. And he made fried chicken wings, Vietnamese style. So he fried them. And then he had a little walk, a half size walk, with some lemongrass and some soy sauce, et cetera, and fish sauce, excuse me. And uh, he just tossed the fried chicken in the wok for about two minutes. And it was absolutely phenomenal. It was just just really good. Um, the other thing I had was at another, this is another Vietnamese place. I was doing a story on Southeast Asian food in Paris, and she made donuts, fried donuts, uh, yeasted donuts, and she filled them with kaya, which is pandan leaf, sort of extract with coconut milk it's bright green oh my god and uh that was oh my lord that was so she also made a chocolate sesame tahini you know version but that kaya was uh oh boy that was the best donut i ever had in my life oh my god how do you stay thin when you're eating all this stuff well I guess the first question you'd have to ask is, have I stayed fit? You might want to ask that yeah, first. Well, you, I've seen you on things, and you look pretty slim. Uh, well, I'm not as slim as I was pre-COVID. Let me put it like that. Um, <clears throat> well, well, we none do. Of us are. I, um, I have a videographer I travel with. He's Ewan from Scotland, and 
he has a big backpack with his stuff, and I have a backpack with my stuff. We walk all over. So we walked all over Paris and London, so I think we probably worked off as many calories as we ate. Right, and it really is a treat. Do you still go into people's homes or check any of that out? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I visit when I visited Fuchsia Dunlop in London. We went to her. She just moved uh, in East London. Yeah, I, I like going to people's homes and cooking with them because then I really get a sense of how they cook. And it, it's um, it's more intimate than just getting something at a restaurant. That's how I really like to cook. So watching people cook at home and maybe even helping out a little bit is, you know, you, you get to know them. Uh, but you also really get to understand why they do things the way they do. And people's techniques around the world are very different. They see food differently. It's not a, you know, if you're in Saigon, it's a different, or if you're in Chiang Mai or whatever, they just see food differently and they think about it differently. And that's really a pleasure. Right. And food always says welcome, no matter who you are or where you are. Yeah. Don't get me started on that. I, I, I got into food as you did probably because, you know, it's everybody gets to sit at the table, right? So uh-huh. I, 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 I totally believe that it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you look like, everybody gets to share food. And it's, it's sort of the last vestige of humanity. <laughs> you know, this world is not getting better. But food is an opportunity for us to sit down together, right? And I know that sounds corny, but... No, but I believe that. I, I, I really do believe that. And... Uh, so, yeah, my, my feeling is everybody's welcome. Yeah, Right, and it brings back memories. I, I think I told you once that on some holiday, one of my kids said, why aren't you making X, Y, Z? It was one of my mother's things. I said, because you guys don't like it. And my son said, we don't have to like it, but we have to have her at the table. And that's how oh, we get. And that was from a kid. And I thought he's yeah. absolutely right. Yeah, that's you know, I, I did a I did a TV show called My Family Recipe, and we help people reconstitute family recipes that were lost or whatever. <clears throat> and then we went with them into their home where they cooked them for their family and friends. And I got to tell you, most of the time, it ended up in tears. You know, I because understand. They, they remembered their mother or their grandmother or their uncle. And it, and it, you know, food memories are deeply personal. And as you just said, that's a great story. Uh, it's not a question of just the food. It's a question right. of who cooked it and what that means to you and in, in your life. And it's, it's deeply personal. Yeah. Well, you did a great job. I love the new book, Milk Street, Cook What You Have, Make a Meal Out of Almost Anything, by the one and only Christopher Kimball. Thank you, Chris. Take care. Yeah, all the best. Great to talk to you. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.